Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to episode 2 of Viral, a podcast series following the spread of COVID-19 as it continues to affect Ireland and the international world. Today on the show, we look at whether panic and hysteria are taking control of Ireland as another busy day of coronavirus news and speculation grab the headlines countrywide. No, I don't really care about it. It's out there, like, isn't it? If I get it, I get it. That's the end of it. Like, I'm worried. Worried for everybody. I'm worried for people coming into our country. I'm worried for people leaving the country and I'm worried for everybody. I'd say if everyone just stuck to what they're told to do, it could be okay. And the people that really do have the problems with breathing and, say, diabetics and all, they should really be careful of themselves. But other than that, I think it'll be fine. I, don't, I feel like it's kind of a bit blown over proportion. Like, I feel like like if you do practice safe hygiene, that you'll be okay. Like I am anxious, yeah. People have diet, so what I think that's the only percent? reason I'm anxious. You've just been listening to some mixed reaction on the streets of Dublin as to how the coronavirus is affecting the public's lives and emotions. As the Republic of Ireland's confirmed cases rises 10 this evening to 34, the biggest increase we've seen yet. Today on the show, we are joined by Brendan Kelly, who is Professor of Psychiatry at Trinity College Dublin, and he'll be discussing why panic and hysteria will undermine efforts to contain COVID-19 and why it's essential for us to trust our health systems during the spread of the virus. Now, before that, I was joined by the Irish Sons' Danny Deval to speak about today's news, as well as this evening's update from the Department of Health. What were the main takeaways from today's press conference? As we know, there was 10 more confirmed cases within the Republic of Ireland. So basically, yes, they, they confirmed 10 new cases of uh, COVID-19 in Ireland. There was one male, um, he was a health worker in the south of the country, and they believed that was associated with hospital transmission. There was another healthcare worker in the east of the country, and they believed that was also a possible hospital transmission. While three males in the south are believed to have travelled from an affected area, along with a male in the east, and then a female also in the east of the country. Meanwhile, there were three people who are believed to have contracted the coronavirus from having close contact with a confirmed case. The HSE also said that 1,784 people have been tested um, for the coronavirus. And as you just said, 34 people have tested positive. Obviously, there was a spike of 10 people from yesterday's conference. Did that seem concerning to Dr. Tony Houlihan or anyone else on the committee? Did they feel that this was in line with their predictions? Judging by the way they reacted to it, it kind of seemed like that this was inevitable, that that numbers were going to go up and that it didn't seem to be a major concern and that it was almost expected. Today we saw a number of closures in Trinity College Dublin. There was a lot of rumble as well about potential closures of primary and secondary schools across the country. 
Do you know why these decisions came to be? Was this spoken about whatsoever in the conference? The HSE have said that they have not advised any schools to close as a result of the outbreak and that there was no plans for large-scale school closures across the country. Um, Trinity College have said that all lectures will now take place online for the rest of the semester in a bit to kind of limit the number of people attending the campus after they had a confirmed case last week. Since Ireland's first case of COVID-19 became aware to the public, its constant coverage in the media has been non-stop and at times difficult to keep up with. There have been many informative and educational pieces written or publicised, but an article that stood out more than any for me came from Professor of Psychiatry at Trinity College, Brendan Kelly, who wrote an article for the Irish Times last week. In the article, Brendan argued, panic and hysteria will undermine the efforts to contain the virus. In the past week since you've written that article, how have you seen that kind of panic and hysteria develop further or has it stayed kind of stagnant? Well, what's happened is, you know, we've seen clearly that we have two basic responses to a threat, either complacency, we ignore it, a bit like climate change, or panic, and then we, we get a bit hysterical. And that's what happened with the uh, coronavirus, the COVID-19. So, I think what's happened in the past week is that more people have moved from complacency to panic, but I'm not quite convinced many people have stopped off in the middle and um, realized that this is something indeed to be anxious about, to be worried about, um, but that panic is neither necessary nor useful. Complacency and panic are two completely contrasting actions. I think most people will have met friends and expected them to act in one of these ways, to only feel the exact opposite way. I want to know why, as individuals, we both get complacent about things and also panicked about others. Well, it's a little bit to do with personality, um, but there's something about the nature and the immediacy of the threat. You know, some people are particularly threatened by the the idea of a virus, an Mm. infection, something that's invisible and that it's not only coming, but it might already be here and you don't even know about it. And this is in contrast then to something like climate change, which is big and diffuse. And when it arrives in your life, certainly for people living in rich countries like Ireland, when it arrives in your life, it probably won't arrive with a huge, big effect immediately the way that a virus might. Um, It will be slower and it will be more gradual. And um, we're like the classic frog being boiled in water with climate change, that when we got in, the water was cool. But because we're in it, we don't notice the temperature increasing very slowly. And that, in the end, will kill us. So we have these two extremes. And I think there's something in our psyches that makes us particularly likely to panic about a virus or an infection. And do you think, is there anything inherently Irish regarding the kind of mob mentality we've seen over the last while? And think of back now, you know, bread and spread during the Beast from the East, Garth Brooks tickets when that croaker gig was going on. You now see people panic buying supplies. What, what is it about, I suppose, the situation we found ourselves in now that that's happening all across the country? Well, it's happening all across the world to an extent, I suppose. Uh, but it happens differently in different countries. I understand Australia has almost run out of toilet paper, whereas we're most likely to run out of bread of all things. Um, it, is, it is so culturally conditioned how we express this group panic, but it does appear to happen in one guise or other um, around the world. So the fact of panicking isn't particularly Irish, but the, maybe the nature of the panic is. Uh, you know, on the other hand, um, it, it kind of has to be said that our, our um, sort of our public health officials, if you like, our leaders on this, have kept a very moderate tone, as have our politicians. 
um, you know, a very reasonable and moderate tone, which does help, whereas um, other countries, the political leaders might be slightly less convinced by evidence from the World Health Organization or others. What is your opinion on how the HSE have circulated a lot of the information about the virus? There was a lot of criticisms early on last week about how some of the information was slow to come out. Yeah, I mean, the HSE has been, uh, very, and the Department of Health, very forward and very available in providing the information that is necessary for public health. So uh, it, it has provided in a timely fashion all the information that can be justified to be provided on public health grounds, on safety grounds. Now, obviously, that might satisfy public health requirements, but it doesn't satisfy curiosity requirements. Mm. And um, not everyone um, is reassured by public health information. Uh, but it has been measured and it has been appropriate. And there, you know, the, the, there is a real risk that if um, too much information is revealed, people who have symptoms simply would not come forward. Now, that risk is diminishing, particularly if um, coronavirus spreads then identifying individual cases will become sort of less important if the virus has disseminated widely through the population. The media often have a huge role to play in creating or controlling public opinion or hysteria on anything, and COVID-19 has been no exception. The media has reacted in, in pretty much the way that it always does. Some of the coverage has been very good and very measured, but some of the uh, some of the newspaper headlines, particularly some of the tabloid headlines all around the world, have been extremely uh, alarmist. Um, but broadly speaking, the, the mainstream media has been good. Um, social media is very interesting because you know social media, with with the possibility of anonymity and uh, a lack of responsibility, does tend towards the hysterical, even on a good day. So um, at the present time, obviously, um, there's an enormous amount of wildly speculative information um, out there on social media. And it's it's really really very harming um, because even if you don't believe it, even if you read a load of stories and you think, oh, well, they're just not true, um, they still have an effect on you. The logical part of your brain is only part of your brain. Can you think of any practical steps or tips to cipher through a lot of the noise that you hear on social media and how can you tell whether something is actually worth taking into consideration and what is either speculation or hyperbole? Well, I mean, we need to trust the authorities. Those of us like me who instinctually do so, like I trust the World Health Organization, I trust the information the HSE provides, the NHS in England and the uh, CDC in the United States, um, and those who have an inherent suspicion of those organizations need to simply set that aside and, and make the working assumption that these organizations are providing the information we need, which I believe they are, when we need it. The second thing to do is to place a time limit on the amount of time spent reading about this online or on your phone. It, I mean, it can become addictive, looking for every single update, finding out how many new cases are there in China, how many new cases in South Korea, are there cases in Russia, what about Australia? You know, you could go on forever, and these things uh, will consume you. So we should limit the time we spend Mm. reading about this. So, for example, we could say that we'll have sort of one or two serious looks at what's going on per day and that between times, you know, we won't look at anything, at least from the point of view of getting information. Some people scroll through their phones, you know, dozens or hundreds of times a day. But we should give ourselves one or two information slots per day read what the facts are, and then tune in again tomorrow to find what the new facts are. We need to limit our time 
spent reading about this. And what is the wildest bit of misinformation you might have seen so far, just even in passing? Well, I mean, uh, one of the most interesting ones is obviously that uh, coronavirus doesn't exist at all, that it's all been made up by Russian hackers. Now, this seems to be a mixing up of computer viruses with actual viruses, um, and it is untrue. And I'm most certainly hoping that you're not going to edit this podcast so that I say <laughs> coronavirus is made up by Russian hackers. If you taken out of context, it would be misleading to say the least. But that's the kind of uh, selective editing and selective reporting and selective uh, sort of uh, tweeting that we're seeing. Uh, and it, it's egregious and it's really very harmful. People should stop doing it. And people who aren't sending out this information, we have a responsibility to ration our consumption of it because even if you don't believe this stuff and you read it hundreds of times a day, it will affect your mood mm. and your emotions. In Brendan's article, referenced at the beginning of the interview, he spoke about how containing coronavirus has as much to do with psychology and politics as it has to do with medicine. Well, um, what I mean by that is the psychology part of it um, is that we mustn't let it infect our thoughts. So that's to do with the hysteria and the panic. And we mustn't let us make us hopeless or nihilistic. The advice that we're being given, and it's excellent advice, is about washing our hands and being careful when we sneeze. And these are rather sort of mundane things. They're almost boring things. And when we're all psychologically hyped up about a virus, um, we want to do something dramatic, like buy bread. Um, in fact, we need to calm ourselves down and do the rather pedestrian things that will indeed prevent community transmission. And that's the psychology part of that. Obviously, the politics part of it is very important as well. You know, I mean, I live in Ireland, which is frankly a rich country mm. with, uh, in global terms, a good health system. Now, people complain about it all the time, but, you know, we have... Uh, good running water, we have a good supply of food, we have a moderate uh, hygiene standard, and we, we have a good health system as well. Um, the, the politics really comes into it in uh, countries that do not have this stable social and political situation. Viruses spread very quickly without clear political leadership. So countries that don't have democratic elections, that don't have a free press, that don't have a, an independent judiciary, you find that uh, illnesses, particularly infections, spread very, very quickly. So uh, political will and focus is needed. Some countries, that's very difficult to achieve because of their uh, situation. Other countries like Ireland, uh, we're in a very uh, privileged position um, and we should be able to have uh, firm, clear political leadership. And I'm very confident about that. That was episode two of Viral COVID-19. We will be back on Thursday and Friday this week for more live updates from Ireland and around the world. So subscribe now and make sure you don't miss an episode of this mini-series. In tomorrow's podcast, we will be taking a look at at at-risk groups and what that term actually means, speaking to virologist Lindsay Broadbent and cervical cancer advocate and campaigner Vicky Phelan about how the virus has put a stop to many parts of her life. I'd like to thank Professor Brendan Kelly and Danny Deval from the Irish Sun for joining us today. I'm Ian Doyle. I'll see you tomorrow. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.